Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, uh, so I, I come out here right now because Jeremiah, uh, we would talk to you guys a little bit about what's going on. Uh, Jeremiah is going to send to the Father after the service. <laughs> yeah. uh, nobody got so that. So I put the hair up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Jeremiah, tell us what's going on, man. Yeah, I just, um, so, you know, Camper and I have been working through some transition in our life, and um, just the last couple of years been feeling like God's been moving in us, and, and um, this last year at the end of this school year, felt like God was saying it's time to leave the Campus Life Center, um, and was kind of you know, like, okay, God, what does that look like, and what does that mean for us? And we started praying and talking with people that we love and that we know, and um, I had a friend um, who brought something up and and reminded me of something that I think I had kind of put on the back burner, and uh, that's starting a a new church in Santa Cruz. Um, And so about five years ago, um, you know, my wife and I are originally from Santa Cruz. About five years ago, we were visiting, and we were sitting by the beach, and just like, I just had this deep burden for the Christians who live in Santa Cruz, the believers there who, um, yeah, I, I want them to know who God is. I want them to know truly who Jesus is. I want those who don't know who Jesus is to know who he is. Um, and I, I, I want them to know his word. Um, and so just had this passion to teach God's word to God's people in Santa Cruz. And, uh, and so my mentor was like, you should go to seminary. And I said, I don't want to. And he, uh, and, but we just felt like that's where God led us. And so, um, yeah, I went to seminary and then graduated and kind of got put on the back burner. And my friend said, hey, what about, what about planning a church in Santa Cruz? And just really felt the Holy Spirit saying, that's what I want you to do. And uh, so... Um, as of August, we will be moving to Santa Cruz um, to start a church in Santa Cruz. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, we should say boo, yeah. and then yay. Yeah. yeah. Um, God's been so gracious just opening doors. Um, I've got, um, I will be taking just like a full-time job. I've got um, um, pending a couple of things going through, a, a, a teaching job at um, a Christian school, teaching Bible there. Um, and then another job that I got offered, and then Cambria needed a placement for her practicum, and she got a paid placement, which is n- not, that doesn't happen, and, uh, and so it just got, just been blown open doors for us, and, uh, and so yeah, we're excited to go. Um, I was standing over there in the corner trying not to cry, because uh, it's, it's sad. Um, it's sad to leave people, to leave relationships, um, we love uh, RVC dearly and just thankful for um, you guys and the opportunities that we've had. And, and um, you know, as I was sitting in the back this morning just praying for you that, 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 we, that you would continue to grow in your knowledge of who God is and his great love for you, that you would um, abound in that knowledge and in that love and that that, um, that, that would move us um, to pursue him and to make him known. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yes. So, um, does anyone want to go to Santa Cruz? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I We're taking like sign-ups if you want to move to Santa Cruz. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, obviously, this is something Jeremiah been we've been talking about for the last uh, month and a half, I guess, that yeah. um, God was leading you guys. And uh, as uh, Tam and I know, this venture of faith is certainly a, a big undertaking. It's been awesome to see how God's been opening doors and answering prayers. Um, so we're going to continue this journey with them. Uh, we're going to be uh, not only a prayer support for them, but, you know, uh, 
be a, uh, a support financially and bless you guys and see, you know, uh, what God does when you guys um, head back to Santa Cruz. So the cool thing is that uh, Jeremiah is going to be able to continue to come and share and speak on some uh, our weekends. In fact, you're already booked for August the 12th to, yeah. to speak here for me. So would you join me in praying for this couple right now? Uh, Cambria, can you run up here real quick? You don't have to run. I don't want you to hurt yourself. You just got a new job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's pray for you guys that the Lord will just continue to bless and, and to lead. There's Jeremiah's better half. Come in the light, Way you guys. Better. Come in the light. Always in the dark. Yeah, let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jeremiah and for Cambria. God, for really bringing them to RVC, Lord, at a, uh, just an important season in our church. God, thank you for the love and the, and, and the ministry that you have uh, poured through them uh, into our young people, Lord, into our adults. And, and God, we just are grateful that you are moving. And God, we are thankful that they have a heart to go and to shepherd their people and to preach the gospel to the lost. And God, we are praying that you would open every single door that they need, God, with Bible study and, and just getting a, a group of people together that are like-minded, that want to glorify you. We pray that you would just lead and, uh, and surround them with people that you want to be a part of that team. And, and God, we do pray for a launch of a church there, God, that would be such a beacon uh, in a dark, dark area. And Father, would you just protect them and guide them and bless them, Lord. A lot happening very quickly, and so we just uh, commit them in your hands, God. We thank you for them. Give them peace. Give them joy. Give them, Lord, the ability to see your hand working in just subtle ways each and every day. Uh, Lord, give, confirming to them, God, that this is your will, Lord, and this is what you have for them. And we love you, Lord. We praise you for them. Bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, man. If you, you can't cut that hair, but when you go back to Santa Cruz, right? I mean, if you're on stage in Columbus Unified, you'll be fine in Santa Cruz. Hey, God bless you, man. We love you guys. Hey, I'm going to uh, ask you to, our fifth and sixth graders and our junior hires, you guys are dismissed. Can you just stand up real quick, high five somebody, and we will get after it in Matthew chapter 6. Now, Matthew chapter 6 is where we um, are right now. We were there last week. As Jesus began uh, a new section of the Sermon on the Mount, or for a new section for us, where he talks about the, 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 to be cautious as you proceed in your relationship with God. That you and I would not be those that would do things, spiritual things, righteous things that Jesus said, in order to be seen by people. And so he gives us this statement in verse 1. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, gang, it is dangerous to live like that. He calls it hypocrisy uh, at, throughout the section that we read last week and again this week, verse 5 through 18. That idea that we do right things, but we do it in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. Hypocrisy comes from uh, a Greek word that means to be a stage actor, where we're really just pretending to be something that isn't genuine. And the problem is, and the reason why Jesus would warn disciples of this, this wasn't a warning for those who don't know him, it's a warning for those who call themselves a follower of Jesus. It's a real issue that we would do things before an audience of one, God our Father, 
Or we do things so that other people think that, wow, we are so righteous. And so he makes this statement about motive for doing righteous things, and then he illustrates it. Last week we talked about giving and the reasons why we would give and the way we would give in order to receive a spiritual reward from God. Jesus said the reward for seeking to do anything for him, by the way, to be seen as righteous or spiritual men and women before others, that will re- it will result in an earthly reward. The applause of people. Wow, you're so great. You're so spiritual. Wow, you love God so much. Jesus says, avoid that. And now he gives two more examples. Verse 5, if you read with me, Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses or sins... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say, they have the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. Do that when you're not fasting also. Brush your teeth. (laughs) And wash your face that your fasting, notice this, may be seen, not seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This morning, I want to talk about, well, these two particular subjects, prayer and fasting. And there's a right way to go about prayer, and there certainly is a wrong way that, 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 makes it impossible to have a strong connection to God. Really, that's what we're after, is we want to be men and women that can connect with God, can walk with Him, can have a, a rich relationship with Him. And so Jesus tells us, this is how you go about it. In fact, this morning, if you're, if you're jotting some notes down, here's some of the things that I want you to understand what Jesus is telling us about prayer. Number one is this, when we read verse 5 through 8, is that prayer is really about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship with him. Now, some people view prayer as, as something that is, uh, you know, nothing more than just giving God, like this genie in the sky, this laundry list of things that he can do for us as, as human beings, right? So maybe you find that sometimes your praying is like that. You just, it's almost like, a, hey, give me your Christmas list, and we're going to buy five or six things for you. Uh, as my grandma used to say, hey, what do you want? And I was like, uh, well, here is a catalog I've been highlighting all year, Grandma. We're kind of almost like that, like, you know, oh, uh, God's just going to hook me up and, and bless me with all these material things, and that becomes sort of our prayer life, a laundry list of things. I'm not saying that the the things we're praying about aren't right or good, or even that God doesn't want to bring them in our lives. It's just, it's not just giving him a list. Prayer is about relationship. It's about connection. As Jesus brings up this very new concept for them, 
that you have a Father in heaven who loves you and knows what you need even before you ask, and now you have permission to go before him if you were a follower of Jesus. It's about a relationship with him. There's a right way to, resp- to pray, and there's the wrong way to pray. A lot of times, uh, you know, we think that, you know, God's going to hear us because we, we maybe pray like you've heard some preacher pray. You know, like, oh, God. Have you ever talked to somebody, and they talk in a normal voice, but when they go to pray, it's all of a sudden it just changed. It's like, wait, who are you, man? And it's like, Father Weegis, Right? It's like a Catholic teacher, uh, I think, Father Weegis. Um None of you guys will get that. <laughs> You're like, I didn't go to Memorial. Anyways, uh, you know, we think, uh, you think that if I say, Father God, so many times in my prayer, I said it 10 times, okay, God's going to answer my prayer now. It's not, it's not about a relationship when we begin to pray like that. Their prayers, Jesus lets us know, were directed at other people. So that other people could see them praying and hear them praying. And the audience that they were seeking, it wasn't the Father. We can do this too, right? We pray in a group of people and we start praying for things that we're hoping that they pick up on. Uh, Like a a husband and wife praying together and the wife says, Lord, some of us have been a little grumpy in this relationship. And you're like, hey, are you trying to talk to me? See, the Pharisees, they mastered the art of an external religion, but it was void of any real connection to God. For them, prayer was, verse 5 and 6, was about appearing spiritual before others. They would go on their way to the temple. In fact, they prayed three times a day. And so they would make their way to the temple, but they, they were like, I'm so zealous to pray, I have to pray right here on the street corner. And they would just lift up these big, lofty prayers that were filled with all kinds of wonderful verbiage. And Jesus says they found their reward. Their reward was that others look at them and they think they're amazing. That's the reward they get. I think that we get that, right? We can fall into that trap. We tell somebody like, oh, I was praying the other day at 3 a.m. The Lord put you on my heart. And now they know like, wow, he has insomnia. He was up at 3 a.m. This is not about avoiding, by the way, praying in public because we see the church gathering in public places and praying together with one another for a lot of the time. But the idea is, is that what's the intent? What's the motive? Do I want to know God? And do I want to have a stronger connection to him? Or do I want people to think that I'm an amazing person and that I have such a strong prayer life? It's the, it's the heart's intent. I, I used to get nervous and sometimes still do, you know, like when you're praying with people and stuff. Do you ever get nervous? Like a lot of us won't go to the prayer meeting tomorrow night because you think you have to pray in front of people. You don't have to pray in, in front of anybody. We'll just see you walking around really spiritual because you're praying on behalf of everybody. That's not going to happen. But you just kind of like, and then you pray and you're just like going, oh, that sounded so dumb. Why did I say that? I want a mulligan. That was my entire golf career was just to take a mulligan in each, uh, each hole. The idea is that I'm not really talking to God. I'm just trying to make people think that I'm really spiritual right now. Or maybe it's not just about how others see us, but how we see us. We feel really good. Oh, I've been praying five days straight this week. The idea that we want to discover is, is, did I just go through religious motions? I'm just like a Pharisee. Or did I connect with God? And so Jesus says, find a closet. Find a place. It's a great mental picture, isn't it? To shutting things out in your life. Setting aside time because prayer is about a relationship with God as your Father in heaven. And spending time with Him there. 
Everybody else is out, and the purpose is meeting with God. They also were trying to find formulas. We read about that in verse uh, 7 and 8. Trying to seek that magical formula for prayer. If I say it over and over and over again, then God will get it. Well, then that just turns in sort of a mechanical way of praying. Empty and purposeless words is what Jesus said about their prayers. And their minds were on cruise control. And what happens is that we are in danger as people of turning prayer to the one true God into a religion of formulas. If we prayed for five minutes and God answered that prayer in five minutes, we would write a book about how God answers prayer in five minutes, right? If you spent seven and a half minutes, and every time you spent just seven and a half minutes praying over a subject, that God would answer that prayer, that's exactly what we would do, right? We'd just be like a monkey, go up, hit a bell, and they give you like a you know, banana. And it's just like, bing, 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 oh, this is awesome, it's not a relationship. You guys, you see that mental picture, right? It's like going, that's what goes on in my head. So be praying for me. Write Gordon down on every single one of those cards, and we'll get it out to the prayer meeting. That's not a relationship. That's not dialogue. But yet that's what prayer is supposed to be, a relationship with our Heavenly Father. The true way to pray, it's about relationship, and that's based on our faith in Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with God today, meaning that you've not surrendered your heart to him, you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, then the prayer that you need to utter before God is, God, save a sinner like me. But if you know God and you're walking with him, you have a relationship with him, uh, you've been saved, we would say, or you've committed your life to Jesus, you have this incredible opportunity, and so do I, to have a relationship with God. When Christ hung and died on the cross, he opened a way for anyone who would believe to now be connected to God as father and be adopted into his family, and now you can call upon your father, even as Jesus said. And by the way, this concept of Jesus calling God Father to the disciples was so uh, foreign to them. The fact that they could have this intimate relationship, uh, another, where, another place in Scripture, uh, God is referred to as Abba Father. Now, to, to say like Daddy in our language, it makes it a little bit irreverent, but the concept's still the same, intimacy. We see a, a, a toddler walking up to his father and calling him daddy, right, or papa. Uh, that's, a, that's a sign of, of intimacy and closeness and, and, and a relationship. And so Jesus says, this is what prayer is. It's about a relationship with your father. You don't have to convince God the father to love you or to bless you. He's your father. And you're his child through adoption, and we've become his children, even as John says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And this invitation exists. When Jesus said, when you pray, he's saying you have an invitation to come before God. To think that you don't have to walk through life with the heavy burdens that you walk in here with. Do you have a heavenly parent that loves you, wants to relieve you, wants to fill you with faith and open doors for you and to bless you. And before you even utter the words, he already knows what you need, but he invites you. You know, there's a verse I want you to consider memorizing this week. It's Hebrews 4, verse 16, where, where uh, the Bible says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive mercy. 
his mercy. And we will find grace to help, it, help us when we need it most. So prayer is about relationship. There's something else that Jesus, in this model, so this next little section, verse 9, it, it begins what's been often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And in reality, it's really the disciples' prayer because it becomes a model, if you would. It encompasses everything that should be included in your and, and my prayer life. So prayer is about relationship. Here's the second thing that I think we learn that about praying before God. Is number two is this. This model prayer, it, it, it has to include an awareness of who he is. When Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. We pause when we enter into God's presence. We have an awareness of who he is. You know, a lot of times we, uh, you know, I'm so grateful for the, um, you know, sort of stripping down, I guess you would, maybe of like the Christianity that maybe you grew up with where you felt like that you couldn't call God, you know, uh, you couldn't call upon him for things. You couldn't talk to him about anything. He really didn't want to hear from you. Sort of like that grumpy grandparent, you know what I mean? Like, oh, don't bother him. Like, you know, he just gets really snappy. Uh, and, 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 and now we, we live in a day, I mean, shoot, we're doing a church service in a cafeteria where they're going to have tater tots tomorrow for kids. So we sort of, I think that we've done a good job of sort of stripping down like, hey, we're in a cafeteria, we get it, we're opening God's word here. But sometimes we can almost go too far. We almost treat God like he's like our frat buddy from out of town. Like, oh, God, I was hoping you could hook me up this week. Pause. When you come before God, you go before him with reverence. Our Father, who's in heaven, that's his home. He says, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your name is to be kept holy. So there's reverence. There's awe that we come before him. He is above all, and when we approach God, we're reminded that he is great and awesome, and so we do come with reverence. I love that we call him Father. Because he's a father, he's inclined to listen. He's inclined to love and move on his kid's behalf, but he's a father in heaven, and it means he has limitless resources available to his children, but we come with a sense of reverence. And we come with a sense of awe. So worship is included when we spend time praying. He's God. And Jesus reminds us we approach the throne of the Father with sincerity and awe. And that his name is holy and to be kept holy. It's almighty God that we come before. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. So prayer is about a relationship with him. Prayer also would include an awareness of who he is. But also we would add number three, it, we get an alignment with his will and his kingdom. Really this prayer reminds us that we're disciples. We haven't found a lamp on the beach where God the Father pops out and says, oh, what do you want? You look sad, child. I just want to bless you. I have three wishes. That's not what prayer is. Prayer isn't about getting our wishes accomplished. And this prayer here, it reminds us, as Jesus says, this is what true prayer is. We, we, we get aligned with his kingdom and with his will. It's about getting our lives and will aligned with his. This is this idea of submission. He's a God. He's, he's God the Father. And so we submit our lives to his kingdom and his rule and his authority. I, I love what somebody once said about this passage. Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting 
man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. So true prayer, a balanced prayer life, it has to include his kingdom and his will. Here's a great question to ask that I think that you know, we all need to take some, some inventory on. If God were to answer and give the request that we've been requesting him this last week, is it something that would glorify God? Would it help somebody else out? Would it point people to Jesus? Would it advance his kingdom? Would it help you grow spiritually? I guess we could see that how the American dream has kind of tainted our version of Christianity, right? Where we do think like, hey, you know what I want? I want, you know, like sort of blab it and grab it doctrine. You know what I mean? Uh, Where you say, Lord, I want a million dollars. Done. Why didn't you want a billion dollars, son? Right? Oh, I want to drive a Ferrari. Oh, Lord, I'm going to trust you for a Ferrari. You know what I mean? I mean, this is, uh, you know, I'm like, this is like real stuff, you guys, that, that churches wrestle with. Is it his kingdom? I, and listen, I'll put a fish on the back of that Ferrari so that everyone understands it's for his kingdom, right? <laughs> but, but do you understand how this starts to, you know, prayer really changes us as human beings, We spend time in God's presence. We spend time talking through, Lord, your kingdom. God, I want your will. I want your will. More than than my will to be done. We see God as someone that can help us build our kingdom. That's such a small view of life and a small view of prayer. God has invited you and I into his family and to into his kingdom. And we're citizens of that kingdom. And the Lord wants to use the way you communicate to God and what you communicate to God to advance that kingdom, to see people's lives being changed. Praying your kingdom come and your will be done, it purifies my prayer life. Kingdom prayers are God, use my life. Help me to honor you with my life. Praying for the gospel to reach people in our community or a lost loved one. Lord, rule and reign in my heart. God, rule and reign in our household. God, rule and reign in our church that you would be honored and glorified. See, those are kingdom kinds of prayers. And his will to be done above our own. It's not about getting our wishes fulfilled, but God's will done on earth. That's where it gets real. That kind of praying changes us. Jesus gave us this model, by the way, to pray, but he also uh, practiced it. When he was there in the garden, he prayed three times, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He was asking God, the Father, to remove the cross from his future, which was just hours away. But then he always finished up that prayer with, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's a scary prayer, isn't it? Lord, I really want to see this happen, but not my will, yours be done. You know, I try to tell my kids when they, you know, are praying about stuff. I'm like, don't, don't be afraid to talk to God about the things you want him to do in your life. Well, I think we have this concept of God like, you know, like if you tell him that you, you know, you want uh, some, some, you know, God, I want you to give me a girlfriend. And God's like going, oh, you're going to be single the rest of your life. Right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, you gave him a thought. Oh, I'm not going to get you a girlfriend. Here's what's going to happen to you. Nothing. Right? The rest of your life. 
God, I really want to move to this particular, I want to move to Santa Cruz. And God's like, no, you're not going to Santa Cruz, Jeremiah. You're going to, you know, some other part of the world that isn't Santa Cruz. <laughs> Bakersfield, there we go. That would be, a, right, I mean, talk about a switcheroo on the prayer life. Hold on, are you feeling that? <laughs> Jeremiah's like, nope, not, not feeling it, not feeling it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's praying about going to start a church in Santa Cruz. The Lord's going, oh, you know what? I'm going to make you go to Bakersfield. Not even Bakersfield, Lebec. You ever had this, like, they have like a Carl's Jr., I think. A Red Roof Inn. And there you go. Go start your church there. I'm not, someone's going to have to start a church there. But it's not me. <laughs> it's not Jeremiah. So one of you guys have to go to Lebec, Fraser Park. All those places you try to get past, right, to go down south. So prayer, God's kingdom. Then he says that we can ask. Number four is asking for his provision. You see, God is a father. He knows what we need. He knows all about my life. And he wants you and I to be close to him. And he wants to provide for us. That's something you tell your, your children. God cares about all the things in your life. If your son or daughter comes to you and says, like, I'm really nervous about making friends at school. Don't say, like, listen, there's all kinds of problems going on in the Middle East right now. God isn't concerned about that. Hey, God is concerned about your, your kids' uh, comfortability in school. God is concerned about your kids' sport team. God, whatever you're concerned about, God is concerned about. Now, he might shift and, and, and reprioritize our lives and our, our purposes in life, but God cares about those kinds of things in our life. I love what Martin Luther said about prayer. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. We mustn't think that prayer is something where if I, I just have to I gotta really be serious because I, I know God is not willing to do this thing for me and I'm going to have to convince him to do it. That's not who he is. That's not how God operates. That's not what he's told us about himself. We don't have to feel ashamed to bring our needs. Of course we come with reverence and awe. Of course we say, God, your kingdom, I want that to be my priority in life. God, your will to be done, I want that to be reality in my life. But then he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Nothing is too big for God and nothing is too small. You know, bread represents the smallest part of my life. It might represent the smallest part of your life. You think about that. Just the, the, the ability to have some nutrition so that your heart can continue to beat. It's the smallest part of your existence. And so if God is concerned about that particular issue, it opens the door for everything else that you and I can bring before him. Do you have a relationship that needs repairing in your life? You bring that before God. On a daily basis. Do you have a job that you're wanting to get outside of Bakersfield? You pray, God, I really want to see this job open. Do you have a ministry that you're a part of? Do you have a marriage that you're concerned about? Your own or somebody else's? Is there salvation for a loved one that's needed or for a lost friend? Is there emotional health that needs to be uh, uh, grabbed a hold of in your own life or somebody else's that you love? Is there a physical need that you have or somebody else has a need for? That's just to name a few of the everything that exists outside of the bread that you and I need for daily sustenance. Everything that touches my life, God is concerned about. And he says it's daily that we go before him. Give us this day our daily bread. It isn't 
Lord, give us this week our weekly bread. Give us this month our monthly bread. We see this pattern throughout Scripture. We see that it's, you, you, have, you have grace sufficient for the day, right? Paul says, Lord, remove this thorn. And God says, not so fast, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. It was daily that the children of Israel during the, their, their, uh, you know, their little 40-year timeout, if you would, in the desert. Your kid ever complains about getting a timeout and go, hey, you should ask Levi when he was there. 40-year timeout. And uh, that'd be a, that's too long for them to stay at your house too, by the way. It was daily they walked outside to get manna. Every day. It's like, uh, I like to think it probably tasted like a, a vanilla wafer, the way it's sort of described. Every, I mean, how awesome would that be? It's like vanilla wafers, you get buff and you can be healthy just eating vanilla wafers the rest of your life. And, uh, and so they collected it daily. And then they went out the next day and they collected some manna. And then they went out the next day for 40 years and they collected manna like that. We see that pattern. And Jesus is wanting you to come daily before him. Not for the month, not for the week, but for the day. Why? Because it's not the bread that we need in our lives. It's the bread giver. We need daily contact with him. And so we pray, God, we need you to open these doors, to bless this area. God, these are my requests that I am bringing before you. We don't tell these things to God, number one, because he's unaware of them. He is aware of them. But we tell him because the value of prayer keeps us in contact with him. And again, as we began, prayer is about relationship. And as we pray and as we worship and as we spend time reading his word, we call that quiet time or having daily devotions. Your heart gets convicted over an area of your life. So you pray, God, would you provide forgiveness for my sins? even as I forgive those who sinned against me. You'll be in prayer at times, and the Lord will convict your heart, or he'll show you a, a situation that he's wanting you to release and not be bitter over. That's what happens in prayer. God, I need you to provide forgiveness, and I need you to provide strength and grace for me to release the wrongdoer in my life. The point is that we need daily to keep tabs on areas of our lives that, he, that we know God wants us to grow in, right? If we allow sin to fester, it'll produce death, James 1 tells us, and forgiving those people that have wronged us. And then the prayer leads to asking God for his protection. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. As for asking forgiveness, now we ask God to help us change, to mature, to grow and avoid the pitfalls of life and the stumbling blocks in sin. Sometimes, if we're honest, we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, right, but deliver us from evil. We almost kind of pause and say, you know what, I don't want you to answer that prayer today. I'd like to stay a little bit in contact with maybe some of the temptations that we've been flirting with. Jesus says we are vulnerable people. We need God to help us walk in areas and ways and on paths that aren't in the direction of temptation and sin. We do need God to give us strength to face uh, spiritual attacks. And so we say, God, deliver me from evil. God, lead me not into temptation. God, open my eyes to my own weaknesses and how I can avoid yielding to them. And then he circles back in verse 12 on forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father 
forgive your trespasses. It's a way of saying that God is very serious about forgiveness. If this morning you have some bitterness in your heart towards someone that has wronged you, and I get like levels of, of, of uh, wounds, right? Sort of change the um, kind of the, the willingness to sort of let it go, right? You ever open your door too hard at a supermarket and you like scratch somebody's door and then you look and you're like, well, mine got scratched a week and a half ago here at Target, so, right, uh, eye for eye, right? <laughs> oh, man, I looked at my car this week, somebody scratched it, I'm like, man, that mark's going to be there for a long time. That's no big deal, right? You could, you could figure that out. Ah, oh, that's not a big deal. Someone doesn't invite you to the movies, ah, it's not that big of a deal. The deeper wounds, someone deserted you, someone harmed you, or harmed someone that you love. Those become very difficult areas. And you know what? Jesus is letting us know that you don't get to hold on to bitterness and have a healthy life with him. You have to forgive. And that's why he circles back on it. This, this is hard stuff, by the way. It's a lot easier getting people back and retaliating, right? It's a lot easier to go like, oh, I'm going to scratch my car. I'm going to scratch their car. Oh, they hurt me. Oh, I'm going to talk bad about them. He says, forgive. Forgive. It requires if you have been forgiven, then you must forgive. And then he gets to fasting. How many of you guys like to fast? I don't know because it's like a new like, trend, you know what I mean, for dieting. You know, where it's like, oh, Lord, this counts for you too. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> so spiritual. Oh, my gosh. It says, when you fast, when you fast. See, they fasted twice a week. There was a few times a year, back one in particular, that the Jewish people were to fast, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But, but uh, the Christians fasted. We read about that in the book of Acts. Jesus fasted. He says, so when you fast, don't, let, don't make it a big show about it. You know, people are like, hey, how are you doing? Like, oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> oh, my gosh, but I'm fasting. <laughs> fasting for Jesus. It's connected to prayer. I love what John Corson says, uh, as a pastor up in Oregon, he said, we fast for two reasons, for direction and liberation. God, I need your direction, so I'm going to spend some extra time praying and fasting for you to open the doors and lead us in a ring. We see that in the Old Testament, we see that in the New Testament. The early church gathered together with prayer and fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Barnabas and, and Paul for the work that I've called them to. So fasting should be a part of our lives in some way. But when you do it, comb your hair, wash your face, brush your teeth, and don't walk around all gloomy. Oh, it's so rough serving the Lord. Don't fast then. But when you fast, Jesus said, this is how you do it. Do you need a breakthrough in your life? Is there some sin struggle that's been going on? You're like, you know what, God, I need to fast a couple meals this week. And spend some time praying for you to bring deliverance. Do you have a situation? I ran into a mom this week. I uh, asked about her adult child. Said, you know, the Lord, now, she, I'm wondering, did she lose a reward because she told me? No, I think she's good. Said that she fasts weekly for her, that child until God is going to intervene in that child's life and bring deliverance and salvation to, the, to her child. Those are reasons to fast. 
breakthroughs, direction, revival, kids. The common thread to all of this, by the way, is Jesus says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them as something super spiritual. And then he gave three illustrations. These aren't the, this is not the, the tell-all of all the things, the righteous things that you and I do. But these are three very important ones to the Christian church. They are three very important ones to the Pharisees, or they wouldn't have done them. Jesus said, but this is how they're done in order to be effective. So prayer and fasting. Is it for his glory? Is it before an audience of one? Is it because you want to know God and you want his intervention and his direction in your life? It is a dangerous trap trying to appear spiritual before others. Let me leave you with this, this idea this week. How many of you guys struggle with your prayer life, like cons- to be consistent with it? You know what I mean? I don't mean like, oh, Lord, give me a, a really upfront parking stall. I, that's an okay prayer to pray. I pray that. Lord, curse that person who just stole that parking stall from me. They knew I was trying to circle around to get it. If you struggle with a pr- your prayer life, can I encourage you this week to put some effort in that direction. Don't set yourself up for failure. This week, I'm going to spend an hour and a half daily in prayer. What if you, in fact, let's not even put a time on it, but maybe just said like, you know what, five or ten minutes. Daily? That would amount to a lot of time with the Lord in the next year. So you say, I'm going to set aside a few minutes every single day, some unhurried, I'm going to get in a closet. I'm going to find my space with the Lord. Could be your backyard, could be your bathroom, could be your bedroom, could be your kitchen, wherever it is, your garage. And I'm going to set some time aside. And, and, and I like the, this, this, this model of a prayer uh, acts. In fact, you can even write this in your Bible, like the back part of your Bible. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That encompasses everything that Jesus taught. You spend a few moments, Lord, I just want to worship you. Adoration. What's something you could praise God for? The, the C, confession. What's a sin you need to confess to God? Uh, maybe an area of your life that you've been struggling or maybe a fear that you've been having. And you confess that before God. The T stands for thanksgiving. We know that thanksgiving is a major part of prayer because it's a lot of the times connected, prayer and thanksgiving. Or come before God with thanksgiving when you bring your requests. What are you thankful for? Have you ever circled back and said, God, you've been really faithful to us? That's a practice Tammy and I just did this week. We're looking back like, gosh, you remember when this, and we prayed this, and then all of a sudden this happened? It was awesome. And and we're just like, Lord, do it again. Like, you've done it in the past. We want to see you do it again in our lives. But you got to circle back and say, God, I'm grateful. Thank you for what you've done. And then the S stands for supplication. It's just a prayer word that means to bring any request before God. Do that this week. Write me an email, like a nice email. An email that just says, this is what God's been doing in my life since I started putting this into practice in my life. I promise you do that. You set time aside for God like that. It will revolutionize your life in my life, and pray for this entire body to be able to stay connected to him. You know, our purpose as the church is to know Jesus and to know him intimately. 
And we know him more and more as we seek him more and set time aside for him each and every day. It will change your life. I love what John says as, uh, as we close out our time. Our guy's going to come and lead us in a song of worship. John says this, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that you may fully share our joy. You know what John found in life? That the greatest source of joy in his life was daily contact with God. And you know, when he wrote that, he wanted people to know God intimately and personally. Maybe this morning, as you sit here today, we talk about having a relationship with God. In your mind, Christianity is just a religion. It's just, you know, got to do a bunch of things in order for God to be appeased, and then he might bless your life, he might not. Well, Christianity is really about a relationship. Even Jesus said, eternal life is this, to know God and the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't have that kind of relationship, you don't have this, this knowledge that your sins are forgiven, that, that when you die, you'll spend eternity with him in heaven. You don't have a, the assurance that God is in your life. You've never surrendered your heart to him. What John says is that he wants you to experience the fullness of joy that he has found and millions have found through the centuries sur surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Will you do it how everyone else has done it? You realize that you're a sinner, that all have sinned. You recognize that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you. And you choose to repent of your sin, meaning that you're going in this direction away from God. And today you're willing to make a 180 and go in the direction of God. And to tell him you're sorry and ask him to forgive you for those sins. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. As many as received him and accepted him, John says... To them he gave the right to become the children of God. If you want to become his child this morning, you can do that right where you're sitting. You can ask God to come into your life to make you a new person, to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you knew him as a kid and you walked away. Maybe you've never committed your life to him. I'm going to pray right now and our team's going to lead us in a song of worship. Would you bow your heads with me now? Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace, your forgiveness, Lord, for the ability for human beings to come before you, to call you Father, to call you Abba, Father. What an amazing picture, Lord, that all of us need that reassurance of today, God, as we make it our aim and our ambition daily to know you, Jesus, and to walk with you, God. May that be such a great uh, reality for all of us this week. Lord, as we inch closer to you, God, daily, seeking your face, learning how to pray kingdom prayers, Lord. I also pray for those who are here this morning. God, maybe there might be one person here. Maybe there's several that they don't have a relationship with you today, God, but they want it today. God, they want their sins forgiven. They want to begin a, a relationship with you now. Would you speak to their hearts today, God? And would you bless their lives today? And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, and you want to say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me today? I'm ready to surrender my heart to the Lord. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with him today. If that's you this morning, I want you to simply lift up your hand. And I want you to hold it up in place today. If you're ready to surrender to him, you want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with him today. Anybody here this morning? You want to begin a relationship with him. You want to know him. You want your sins forgiven. Anybody here this morning? You lift your hand and let's pray together. Let's tell God together what you want him to do. As I'm looking around this room, anybody this morning you want 
to move in a direction of having a relationship with Jesus. Well, Lord, we say thank you for your grace. God, you are so good to us, Jesus. Lord, we want to take this message, God, that you invite people to know you, to have their sins forgiven. As we grow and grow every single day, God, understanding your grace, Lord, I pray that you would bless this church and our friends' churches in this community, God, to shine the gospel as a beacon of hope and light into a dark world. We love you, Jesus. We worship you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. As we sing about this incredible God who willingly sacrificed his life, died for us. You know, this morning, if you need prayer, after the service and even now, there's going to be some friends on each side. You can make your way this morning if you need prayer today.